Well, if you have your Bibles open, we're going to read from John chapter 15 and verse 1 following. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them in and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Last week, at the beginning of this three-part series on roots and fruits, uh, we were spending time looking especially at the roots. We looked at Jeremiah 17 verse 5 and Psalm 1, where we had a picture of a tree that flourished and it was by the river, and its roots extended deep into the soil and to the river, and where it drew strength and bared fruit in season. That was a picture of somebody that put their spiritual roots deep down in the kingdom of God and into God himself. They were no longer at the mercy of the environment that was around them, because they were getting their resources and their strength from God and not the broken, failing world around them. And there was a contrast in those trees to those that did not put roots down with God and how they did not wither and how they were totally open to whatever the external environments brought them and they would not in the end prosper. We were looking at our spiritual root system. Well, today we're looking at this passage where Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches And that as we abide in him, we are to bear much fruit. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And the father is the vine dresser who prunes so that more fruit can come. But what does it mean to abide in the vine? Often when you read about this passage of Jesus or you look at commentaries throughout church history on what does it mean to abide in the vine... It's, it's a little bit ethereal, it's a little bit mystical, some sort of union with Jesus, but how does it practically work out in our day-to-day busy lives in London? How do we abide in the vine? How are we nourished as branches? And how do we bear fruit? I want to go into a little bit of a background first, because 
When Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, immediately it triggered in their minds a whole history of God's dealing with Israel as his vine. So when Jesus said, I am the vine, the disciples would say, oh, wait a second. We know that God has dealt with his people, Israel, as the vine. And I just want to read a couple of passages so that you can see what was in Jesus' mind and what would be in the disciples' mind from Scripture when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. The parable of the vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1 following. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he also hewed out a vine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I'll break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no more on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. There, a picture of Israel as God's vineyard, God's vine, and God, like any vine owner would, was expecting the vineyard, when it's tended and looked after, to produce fruit but it didn't produce fruit. So what sort of vineyard owner is going to continue tending a vineyard that never produces any fruit? Also, we can see in Psalm chapter, Psalm uh, 80, Psalm 80 in verse 8, this picture of Israel as the vine. Psalm 80, verse 8. You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow and the cedars of God with its boughs. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all those who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see. And take care of this vine, even the shoot which your right hand has planted, and on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. There's other passage I could read, but I wanted you to have that background. Because when Jesus said, I am the true vine, immediately he was thinking, and his disciples and the readers of the gospel that were Jewish would immediately be thinking of these passages and others. Where God's relationship to his people is pictured as a vine dresser and a vine. And often he is looking for this vine to produce fruits for him, yet the vine doesn't produce the fruits, as we've read. And so, like any good vine owner, if the vine doesn't produce and refuses to respond, then don't deal with the vine any longer. So when Jesus was speaking about this, 
he was speaking about how we are to draw resources from Jesus, he's the vine, how we're to be strong branches that also continue to produce fruit and not just produce fruit, but increasingly produce kingdom fruit. We're going to look at what this actually means in detail for our lives. The goal in in, uh, John chapter 15 is fruitfulness. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He said to them, you're already saved. You're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. So now that you're clean, now that you're saved, what's the next thing on our agenda together? You've received salvation and forgiveness of sins. That's a done deal by my grace. So what now? Just sit back and wait till heaven comes? No, on the contrary, you've not just had your sins forgiven and received eternal life, but now you have been grafted onto the vine. God's people are now grafted into God's vine, and God's vine is Jesus Christ himself. You know, when Jesus said, I am the vine, it was one of seven self-disclosures of Jesus in John's Gospel. They're called the I am sayings, things such as, I am the good shepherd, or I am the door of the gate, or, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the resurrection. This was Jesus explaining to people who he was. And so for Jesus to say, I am the vine, is such an incredible claim and statement when the vine was always Israel, God's people, and now Jesus is saying, God's people are now defined by their relationship to me. I am the vine, and God's people are branches on the vine, and just like the vine in the Old Testament, I am expecting my branches to be fruitful and living. And my father, he's going to be gardening, looking for the fruitful branches in order to make them more fruitful. We think of the fruit of the vine, which of course is wine. And that leads us to think about the gospel. In Mark chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus says, you don't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. Why? Because the new wine is bubbling, living, uh, fermenting. And if you put it in an old, used wineskin, that wineskin is no longer flexible. It's rigid, and the bubbling, new, living wine bursts it. Now, you have to put new wine in a new, soft, supple wineskin that can expand with the growth and life of that wine. The wine that Jesus was speaking about was the gospel his teaching, his kingdom that he had brought. It was new wine, the wine of the gospel. We think of Jesus also echoing this in John chapter 2. Do you remember the wedding at Cana? And he turned water into wine. And the uh, chief of the banquet couldn't believe it. When he tasted this new wine, this miracle wine, he said, wait a second. Normally, at the wedding feast, they serve the expensive wine to begin with. And everybody is sampling it and tasting, oh yes, yes, a good vintage. But then, when they've had a few too many, and they can't tell the difference, you bring out the old plonk, and then they don't care anymore, they're, not, they're just drinking it, and, they, they, you know, and, and they, they don't recognise it. But he said, Jesus, you have saved the best wine till last. It was a picture of Jesus' ministry and gospel. It was a picture of the New Testament teaching and the New Testament wine compared to the Old Testament. 
So when we're talking about vine and a fruit, we're going to somewhere down the line understand that out of that fruit, from that vine, of which we're the branches, is going to be gospel ministry, kingdom ministry. And as Jesus said, you will show and demonstrate by your fruit that you will be my disciples. But how do we as branches abide in the vine? Jesus spoke about how he abided in the Father. And earlier on, Matt uh, gave us that wonderful solo that was speaking about dependency on Jesus, as Jesus, he had, Jesus had dependency on his Father during his ministry on earth. You know, uh, whatever you pray, I pray. Whatever you say, I say. Whatever you do, I do. This dependency on Jesus, and then in the song it said, because that's how Jesus depended on his Father. Now, Jesus was God Almighty in human form. He could have done what he wanted, how he wanted, when he wanted. He was fully God, fully man. But he chose to be totally and utterly dependent on his Father. You read it in John's Gospel especially. It says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it first. I don't say anything unless I hear my Father first. Everything I do, everything I say is done with dependency on my Father. I abide in him and he in me. Now he's saying to us, just as I, Jesus, depended on my Father, so you are to depend on me. Abide in me. Draw from me. Bear fruit from my life. Well, in biology, how does the branches, or how do the branches on a vine tree draw the life from the vine and the roots to produce fruit? How does it actually happen? Well, there's nothing mystical about it. Biologists have taught us that the roots of the tree, of vines, and in general, the roots bring into themselves, through diffusion, they bring into themselves minerals and water and nutrients that will go through the vine uh, into the branches and bring life and nutrients so that the vine can grow and bear fruit. Now, this is called sap. The sap is what carries from the roots to the branches the life, the nutrients, the, the, the miracles, the, the, the miracles, <laughs> getting ahead of myself, the minerals and the water. And what happens is through the roots, and up what we call the xylem. The xylem is a bit like a, a biological highway through which the, uh, uh, the sap carrying all the nutrients travels up this tree and through the branches to bring life. Now, the, xylem goes, the, the sap goes up the xylem and then finally passes into the uh, branches and the leaves bringing life. Well, the question is, how does the sap find energy to go up the trunk into the branches and into the leaves. Is there some sort of biological pump at the bottom in the, in, in, in the roots pumping up, you know, like some sort of pump you might use, electric pump, pumping this thing and forcing up the sap into the branches? No, that's not what happens. As the sap rises, it, it rises to the greatest extent by a pull from above. Not a push from below, but a pull from above. How? The branches actually pull the sap up into themselves and their leaves. How do they do that? Well, they do that because of the leaves. It's the process of evaporation and transpiration. In other words, what happens is as the sun beats down on the leaves, then the water 
in the leaves, it evaporates, goes into the atmosphere. And as the water evaporates and goes into the atmosphere, the water that leaves and evaporates pulls on the water that's in the leaves and the stems and the branches and pulls it to replace the water that's being evaporated, causing the whole sap from down in the roots to be drawn up by the branches into their life. It's a pull from above. Well, that's interesting. Because what would it mean if a branch was not pulling the sap from down below in the vine into their life? Well, then the branch would not receive any nutrients. In other words, if I can use that phrase, if a branch isn't pulling the sap, then the sap from the vine won't get into the branch and then the branch will cease to receive its nutrients, cease to bear fruit, its leaves will eventually wither and the branch will die on the vine. And then what use is a dead branch? It's of no use at all. And what the gardener would do, take that dead branch, chop it off, throw it down. Why? Because it's taking up space where another branch could produce fruit. And this is what we're reading here in Jesus' analogy. He's not saying that if a Christian doesn't produce fruit, they'll be taken off and thrown into the fire and burn in hell. He's not saying that. He said, you're clean because of the word I spoke. But what he is saying is, now that you're clean, let's talk about bearing fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, then in the, in the end, you're as useless as a stick on the ground that lost, lost, has lost all its moisture. And you know that if you take an evergreen branch or a branch that is very green and full of life and moisture, it's actually quite hard to burn that, isn't it, as fuel? But if you take some branch on the ground that has been lying there for weeks and, and all the, 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 the sap and the, the life in it is out, you can take that dry, brittle branch and it's good for fuel, isn't it? That's the analogy. It, God is saying that now that you're saved, if you don't produce fruit, then uh, you're useless to the kingdom of God. This is the whole message of James when James says faith without works or should we say faith without fruit is dead or one of the translations is it says dead twice faith without uh, works is dead in chapter 2 twice and then at the third time it says faith without works is useless. It's not that you're not going to heaven it's just that you're useless in producing fruit on the vine but that's not God's plan for any of us. So how do we, because you're a branch and I'm a branch if you're in Christ, how do we then pull into our lives and experience the sap, if I can use that word, of the vine of Jesus with his nutrients, his anointing and his enabling and his, uh, his eternal life? How do we pull that into us to actually produce fruits in our lives? How do you make a demand on that sap into your life and it is us that makes the demand it's the leaves it's the it's the branches on the natural tree that pull the sap into them it's not the vine pushing it into you Jesus will not push his sap nutrients into your life you have to draw it from him through abide through abiding well a wonderful picture of this is I think the picture of the woman with the issue of blood the way she drew, she touched the edge of Jesus' garment, if you remember the story. She had an issue of blood. She spent all her riches on doctors and medicine trying to deal with this terrible, terrible, debilitating sickness. 
And in the end, she, she saw Jesus and she said, that's where I'm going to get my healing. And she believed. She had faith. And so all these crowds were around Jesus. They were manhandling him and touching him. But none of them were touching him with faith. None of them were making a demand on his anointing. And here comes this woman, and she pushes her way through, and she manages just in between two people to reach out and just manages to touch the hem of his garment. That's all. And as soon as she does that, something happens. Healing power is drawn out of Jesus into her body, and she is instantly healed. And Jesus, he feels, he says, I feel virtue or power coming out of my body. Who touched me, he said. And all the disciples said, are you mad? You're in the middle of this crowd. It's worse than rush hour on the central line. And you're asking, who's touching you? But you see, there was one that touched that drew out of him life-giving power. And I think that that's a very good analogy about what we're talking about when we're talking about being branches on the vine. The touch of faith that draws out of Jesus the sap of nutrients, anointing, ability, supernatural power that comes from Jesus alone into our branch life and causing fruit to come to God's kingdom. Well, the first thing to say about drawing uh, from the vine is that to draw from the vine, to ensure that the sap in Jesus, the vine life, comes into your branch, the first thing that you must have is a conscious dependency on the Lord. He says here in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Conscience dependency on the person of Jesus. Let me put it this way. Have you ever had anybody dependent on you? Have you ever had a friend, or maybe you wouldn't call them a friend, who is constantly wanting your attention, your help, always ringing you up, can't get them off the phone, always wanting your time, always asking you to sort things out, so dependent on you. Have you ever had anybody, sometimes it's not a good place to be in this, this dependence, but have you ever anybody, everybody had anybody like, like that? Sometimes you might say, uh, you know, they're sucking the life out of me. They won't leave me alone. They want, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so somebody is just sucking the life out of you, your time, your resources, your energy, your thinking. They're, they're just pulling on you. And, and, and they're going away saying, oh, thank you for your three-hour talk again, for your help. And you're going away absolutely exhausted because they've sucked everything out of you. It's not a good place to be in. But it's a picture, isn't it, of how someone can be dependent on you. A more positive illustration might be the dependency of a child on its parents for so many things, or, or, or especially when it's a newborn baby, the dependency is incredible. And that dependency to draw from the mother, to draw from the father, help, nurture, and care. Well, I'm saying that those are analogies of what we should be doing with the very person of Jesus. I spoke about needy people sucking you dry. Well, we are genuinely needy people, but we could never suck the strength of Jesus dry. There's always more. When the woman with the issue of blood touched his hem of his garment and he said, I felt power 
virtue coming out of me, he didn't then need to go and have a lie down for 10 minutes. To re- there was more where that came. So the question is, how needy are you of Jesus? Well, I can tell you, you're very needy, you're totally needy, but how have you consciously understood how much you literally need Jesus on a daily basis? I don't think many of us have. I think we have this Jesus that's out there and somehow Jesus helped me and we certainly no need need to turn with him when we can't sort it out ourselves. But this idea of a constant, conscious dependency, drawing on his strength through prayer, through uh, conscious, Jesus, I, I, I can't and won't do it without you. Jesus, I need your help in this area, help in that area. Even when we think we're competent, you know, you can be a competent singer and sing, but there's somebody who's a competent singer who draws on Jesus and sings in a totally different way. Because the life that comes through their singing is coming from the vine of Jesus. It's not coming through their own energies. It's the same with anything. You can minister with your own strength and and understanding, but there's a minister that is drawing on the sap of the vine, and that is a totally different supernatural thing altogether. It's the same with family life. It's the same with your work life. It's the same with your relationship life. You might think you can do it on your own. Most Christians do. But this conscious leaning on the Lord, this conscious I need you, this sort of consciousness that models itself on Jesus that never spoke without the Father speaking to him first, never did without showing the Father showing him first. It's a conscious thing. So often we're asking the Lord just to bless what we're doing. He doesn't want to bless what we're doing because we aren't the vine. He's the vine. He gives the life and we draw it from him. To depend on him in thought and word and deed. We say sometimes in Church of England liturgy, let the fruit of our lips be acceptable. The fruit of our lips. Secondly, So we've got that consciousness there, this this reliance on God, a conscious reliance on God, even on the little things, Lord, will you be with me? Lord, will you help me? You are pulling on the sap and supernatural activity will take place instead of just natural activity, even in the most natural of occasions. Secondly, as well as dependency on the person being a needy person, and needing Jesus, we have a belief and a faith in God's word. So here, in chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. In other words, when we are obedient, and there's a note of obedience here, abiding in the words, Um, keeping his commandments in verse 10 um, and uh, verse 12. You you are my friends, 13, sorry, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, there's a note here of obedience to Jesus' words. This is very important. If you want to draw as a branch the life of the vine in you and through you, then applying God's word is one of the greatest ways of drawing up the life of the vine into your life and your circumstances. 
James says, don't be hearers of the word only. Why? Because hearers of the word don't get anything. But he says, be doers of the word because you will be blessed, not in your hearing, but you'll be blessed or fruitful is another phrase you could use for being blessed. To be blessed is to be fruitful. You'll be blessed, you'll be fruitful in your doing, your applying. What does this mean? It means that when you apply the teaching of God's word into your lives in practical areas of discipleship and obedience, something supernatural is taking place. You are actually drawing the sap the life of the vine into your life and your circumstances. And this isn't all about having goosebumps and feeling an anointing, oh, I feel like obeying God's word. Sometimes this drawing of God's life into your life and your circumstances, your thinking and your activities, and putting God's word first, sometimes you don't feel good at all doing it. Sometimes your flesh is reacting violently. That bit of you that doesn't want to go God's way, that needs to be crucified on a constant daily basis. I don't want to do God's will. I don't want to do God's word. I don't want to apply God's wisdom to my life or my circumstances. I don't want to go God's way. And you can feel bad about it, but let me tell you something. If you, by naked faith, just apply God's word, despite how you feel, to the areas of your life, you are actually doing something extremely supernatural and you are, believe it or not, feel it or not at the time, drawing up through the vine into your life the supernatural life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is supernatural. The life of Jesus is laced in resurrection power, kingdom power, redemptive power, covenant power. This isn't just a life that allows your heart to beat and your, and, and, and your lungs to breathe, but this is a power that infuses and diffuses into your thinking, your actions and your environment, the very life of God. So when you go God's way, it's not, it's not a question of simply shaping up morally. Oh, well, I'll just be a bit more moral. It's not that at all. You are being obedient to God's commands out of a relationship and dependency on Jesus, and that caused you to draw. So that's a very important way. If you feel, I can't see any supernatural work of God in my life. I feel like I believe in God, but everything's so natural. There's none of this supernatural anointing I'm experiencing on the inside or in my circumstances. Depend on him, consciously. And secondly, do the word and you will soon feel the effects of the sap rising in your life and you will re 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 experience the kingdom of God. Thirdly, prayer, which comes out of both of these things. If you abide in me, verse 7, my words abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Think about that. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, ask and it will be done for you. Ha, whatever you want in the vine, not whatever your flesh wants, but whatever you want in order to fulfill Jesus' command and to bear kingdom fruit. Whatever you want in kingdom permission and kingdom fruit you can have. Hope that's an encouragement for people that have laboured long and felt that they, they've reaped little. 
Well, as we begin to draw on the vine, it's going to happen. Now, the father has a role to play in this. He's the vine dresser. Notice in this parable, and it's just a picture, there's more to Christian life than this picture, but this picture's got something to teach us and has a place in the balance of God's word. But in this picture, the father's not interested in fruitless banks, uh, fruitless branches. He's not interested in them. If you read the parable, it doesn't go around saying the father tends the fruitless branches. In fact, he leaves the fruitless branches around. It's almost like there's a prerequisite to be gardened by the father. In order to be gardened by the father, you've got to be relying on the son. It's like the father says, I'm not giving you any gardening attention if you won't rely on Jesus. What's the point? I'm not going to start pruning you and preparing you and shaping you and training you as a branch on the vine, on the trellis. I'm not going to do any of that. If you're not, if you're not receiving the sap of Jesus through uh, uh, dependency, faith and action in his word and prayer, I, I'm, I'm just going to leave you be because you're not going to bear fruit right, right where you are. But notice, those that bear fruit get the Father's attention. He sees the fruit, doesn't matter how little it is, but he sees the fruit. And he sees that that fruit is the fruit that comes from the vine, not a man-made uh, imposition or, or, or a man-made fake counterfeit, calling it God, and it's not God at all. The sort of fruit that someone like a Jehovah's Witness without the anointing or salvation of God could do themselves. No, not doing it man's way and calling it God, but God sees something of the supernatural element of his vine in it. He sees the fruit and immediately he's cutting. He's cutting away. He's, he's shaping. He's making sure that this fruit, however small it might be, is going to have the best chance to grow and to grow and to grow. There's a principle in Scripture. The more fruit you give, the more fruit you give. The more you do, the more you do. Give and it shall be given unto you. The measure that you give is the measure that you receive. So the more you bear fruit, the more you're going to bear fruit, the more you're going to bear fruit. The less you bear fruit, the less you bear fruit, the less you fruit. God is looking at the fruitful areas, even if they're only small. Well, you say, well, what are these fruitful areas? Well, the first thing to say about the fruit of the vine that we're, we're giving is that fruit, what is fruit? Fruit is a seed-bearing product of the plant. It's linked to reproduction. So when you take a grape from a vine, within it there are seeds, and those seeds themselves can produce new life. I remember our senior leader once teaching on fruitfulness, and he spoke about how, this is Colin, he spoke about how he doesn't like seedless grapes. When I first heard that, I thought, you don't like seedless grapes, so I don't like grapes with seeds in because you bite one and then you have to spit out the seed. But what he meant by that is these grapes that are specially produced to be seedless, they have no reproducing activity within them. But every fruit that you do for the kingdom of God has seeds to bless other people. We're not seedless grapes. We don't produce seedless grapes. Every word you say on behalf of the master has seeds to bear fruit in people's lives. Every act you do in the name of Jesus, relying on him, those actions of love, care, concern, those actions have repercussions in other people's life. It's not just you're being obedient to the Lord, as good as that is, but your obedience is bearing fruit in the lives of around, that are around you. 
Think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Jesus says that the greatest fruit that you can bear for him is to obey his commandments. And his main commandment that we read in verse 12 is, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Abide in my love just as I abide in God's love. In other words, love drawn through the sap is love to be given away. The more we understand how much Jesus loves us and wants to serve us and wants to impart into us and help us in our weaknesses. He's not a high priest without knowing our infirmity, our weaknesses, our failures, our sins, and yet he wants to wash our feet, as it were. He, he is the servant king. The more we receive from him the sap of his loving, unconditional love, the more we are then able to love others. The more we receive, the more we can give. And all true Christian fruits comes out of love. This will be proof that you are my disciples. And so everything that we do on reliance in the Lord, when we step out in God's word, when we step out in service, when we seek to be his disciple, when we seek to follow him and grow in him and know him better and allow him to infuse our lives through dependency, we will see not only quantitative change in our fruits for the kingdom, in the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples and the loving of one another, not only will we see a quantitative increase, but we will also see a qualitative increase. We will see the quality. A little with Jesus goes a long way. Don't forget the, seven, the, the, the fish and the loaves. A little of Jesus goes a long way. But a lot of this world goes hardly anywhere at all. It's quantity, but it's quality-driven quantity of fruit that God wants. He wants fruitfulness in all that we're doing. As a close... In this month, we are asking ourselves to look at our roots in God, our root system. Are we deep in God? Are we firm in God? Are our roots deepening in God so that our environment and our lives is blessed not because of what's going on around us, but what's going deep beneath the surface of our lives where the root system is in the kingdom of God? Today we're looking at how we abide and how that fruitfulness of activity, obedience, prayer and dependency can pervade every aspect of our daily lives and our church service. For some of us this month, we'll be taking steps in deepening our roots. For some of us, we may be uh, joining a cell group or leading a cell group or joining one of the uh, Sunday teams. All these are, are part of God's plan for us, but it's bigger and wider than that, although it includes it.